the subject for this evening's talk is does spirituality truly exist? I think sometimes when we give some time in our life to look at the world in which we have our life and our being, we observe in that various currents and trends in society, and we too, of course, are very much often with those currents and trends. And we ask ourselves, we wonder to ourselves, what is the possibility of something which is alternative to this, radically different from it? And sometimes when our mind's attention turns that way, we look outwardly at the circumstances which we perceive going on, and then we look at our own life and the way that it is going on, and sometimes there's such a connection between the two. And the connection sometimes we define both in ourselves and in around is the connection of what sometimes we call materialism. The religion of materialism, the religion of consumerism. And an ism being that which we closely identify ourselves with, which through our activities of body, speech and mind, we regard as the primary purpose of living, and our endeavours and focuses go in that direction when we look honestly and actually at the day-to-day -day of our living circumstances. We often feel, particularly from a state of insecurity, that we are propelled into materialism because of financial uh, necessity and quite understandably and sometimes in realistic terms the feeling of lack of. And our hope often is therefore that we can gain something, fill up the hole and feel a security with that. This is a common feature of materialism. With it also of course goes the excesses of consumption and the way of life in which we are sometimes perhaps obsessed and infatuated with the new and the fashionable and all that accompanies that. Then we look, we look around us, we see the alcoholism, the, the addiction, the unhappiness and the fragmentation of family life and social life which all seems to be rather endemic within that world, within that framework and sometimes a voice inside of us says I've got to get my way out of this, I've got to get out of this. There's got to be something actually alternative to all of this. And what we see in the currents and trends of things that there are genuinely serious attempts and serious efforts being made to provide something which is different from the value structure which has been imposed upon us. And I think one of the things which many of us have perhaps realized in, uh, in recent years, and I think that is 
when we look back at the past, that there was perhaps a time, and certainly uh, for those of us who um, remember the 60s, and we'll recall those, those times, and the times of uh, street protests, the times of um, Haight Ashbury, and when Berkeley was the, uh, the, the, the mecca of all radicalism, etc., etc., that there was perhaps, amongst some of us, and people like myself who were then hitchhiking across Asia and on the road, that there was a genuine um, hope at that time that something would emerge which would be really different. And a strong and rather powerful social message of idealism was generated. And all the explorations in Eastern philosophy, uh, drugs, alternatives in lifestyle, communes, spirituality, the beginnings of meditation, all came part of that radicalism as well as the anti-war movement. And we've looked at that and we've seen those movements come and pass in the, the scheme of things. And, and in a way, the hope perhaps for some of us who are of our age at this time was that perhaps out of that would, would really would Im emerge some awakened and realized and genuinely compassionate leadership. And we have seen that that simply hasn't come to be. And that the voices of protest ha who have been able to support and maintain protest over the last 20 years or more have really have been few and far between. And perhaps what we recognize with that in, our, in looking at the social trends and the relationship of being here to that is the way that the, almost the magnetic pull of uh, society towards economic growth, power, influence, and more and more is, has such a strong attraction to it that sometimes we think, if I do this, I do that, even when the intention initially is pure to do something valuable and good for the world, there's that strong voice inside which can accompany that which says, and this way my career will be established. This way, this will give me economic security. This will give me the, the social status and standing which I crave for in, the, in our society. And we find sometimes that that entering, that the self-movement from inner to the outer, moving through that, which we say, this is an alternative to the streams of society, the unsatisfactory ones. And yet, self is there, and self of that form of ego, egotism, gives support to what we protest about. Part of the issue. And so what we have seen, perhaps very clearly for ourselves, or intimated in ourselves, that change, if change is to be changed, in a way, it has to be total. And total change means both what we call inner and outer. And that then sets up that, that, that very rebellion, the very protests or concern about one stream or trend then invites something different. First one is clear of one, and the heart's dissatisfaction with one, the intensity of dissatisfaction with 
one has led to the pursuit of something other than that. And to some degree, to some degree, and that will vary person to person, some degree, being here, being present in, that, in this situation, in a way, is saying no to obsessions, no to addictions, no to compulsiveness, no to selfishness, no to greed, whatever it might be. So then one says, that perhaps then begins to look at what are the factors going on inside of ourselves? What's actually showing itself, which in a way is a direct mirror and reflection of what takes place alternatively. And sometimes one has this extraordinary sense in self-knowledge, in awareness of ourself, that if one can really look into the awareness of one's self, the construction of one's self, that simultaneously, because it seems so impersonal, not in any abstract Buddhist way, but it seems so impersonal insofar that the intimacy of looking in one element of self, the construction of self, is reproduced, is revealed and actively shown in countless other formations of self. And so what we say to this is if I, whoever the I am, if I am really willing to penetrate into this construction, this nature of self and all that accompanies it, the desire, the wanting, the longing, the aggression, the fears, the agitations, all that, that constructs that formation of self. If I'm really willing to explore, look into this, and really gain some insights into this, then possibly those insights in different ways can then be made manifest in the world that we live in. And therefore, as the old teaching said, through the insights into the nature of self, we bring light into the world. Through the insights into this self-formation, taking the power out of self as substance, we bring light into this world. You know, looking at our self, we sometimes observe for that, quite understandably, but not necessary. We, in our consideration for ourselves, as I was speaking a little, just a little bit last night, we take a conventional view. We adopt the model of the material world and we transfer this model of material world to what we call the spiritual world. I think a common model for the material world is one of development with improvement in the course of time. And there's a very strong human wish for us for things in time to get better. And we are able to carry this with us, both socially and personally, in almost mythological terms. So mythological that we actually carry this and that sometimes we will claim, on the larger scale of things, as a gross example, this century is an advanced century. We have really have developed a long way. 
we wonder what that evidence for that might be based upon. It seems rather hard to see what the persons who believe this are referring to. But it's a strong evolutionary better world which is improving and developing despite 90 years of terrible pain and suffering on this earth, of world wars and all that goes, the genocides and all that goes with it, of life on earth, environmental and personal, <coughs> being under immense critical threat, that which system which has been a long, long time. So sometimes, without going into that, sometimes we look at that and we say, if it's like that outwardly, here I look at myself and I want to develop as a human being. I want to make genuine progress. If I do look in that way with regard to my life, then it means I have to be making steps. I have to be going, and in a progressive way, I have to be going from one step to the other. Each time that you or I make a step in our life, not only are we making a step towards, though it may be unnamed, but equally we're making a step out of or away from. And I think sometimes our misconception is, our, that the misunderstanding of self is, is that sometimes we almost naively believe or imagine that if we are really are to undergo change, somehow or other, we can carry along with us all that's been dragged along before. We want the load of the past to be lighter for us, whatever that past which is heavy for us, and we want it to be, to be free from that. And we set up a whole uh, psychotherapy tradition and other traditions to help us be free from that. But sometimes I wonder whether we honestly we had this in the inquiry this afternoon, whether we honestly wish to be free from it. And I think that asking of ourselves is a far more challenging situation for us than just quietly and calmly sitting in a meditation hall, doing some walking and spending a reasonably full, but reasonably quiet week in this situation. And I think what can happen in a progressive <coughs> developmental way, that a certain quietness can take place, that quietness allows itself to be present for us, and with all the mental noise that goes on, but a certain quietness, but the quietness is largely environmental. It's largely environmental simply that there are not many of us, and actually it's only me really, who in the hall is making a lot of noise. <coughs> so if you and I are in a situation like this, where there's a great deal of quietness, where it's highlighted, it's appreciated, it's, it's, 
in any religious language. We make such a fuss about it, it's worshipped. That what happens is that consciousness and one's being feels better in the sensations, hopefully, feels better through its mode. But easily, easily, the mode of quietitude, quietness of being, calmness, which I, sounds like it, but I don't want to undermine or underestimate in any way, is linked to absence. Understand? It's linked to the absence of invasion. The absence of other people speaking to us in particular ways, the absence of the snarl of the traffic, the telephone keep ringing, the work that has to be done, etc. So in the absence of consciousness, relatively speaking, is a little bit more peaceful. And so then a person says, I've been on retreat, I've did it. I spent this time here, it was a helpful time, I learned something about myself, I feel better for the experience, I've made some progress while I am here, and then the person goes back wherever he, she, you are from, there's a, an ability to sustain a fair degree of quietitude over the days, the weeks of departure, and then gradually the traffic snile and the telephone and the appointments book and the meetings and the committees and the, the counselling and that. gradually the so-called real world <laughs> begins to make its impact and the word real gets used, it gets used here, I hadn't realised before that I had been living in unreality for 20 years, but it's always interesting to hear about. And one enters back into the real world and it eventually, after first month it's not real, then it's real, and then it's after two or three months it's real with a capital R-E-A-L. And, and it's got substance. So absence of gives a certain quietitude of being, time goes by, presence of gives reality and in that reality the sensations, the pleasantness, the comfort of it begins to diminish and one finds oneself going through this hoop repeatedly. It may be without, because I don't want to uh, under, underestimate, underestimate but I think these things have to be said and they have to be looked at very carefully it may be that in the return, as people say, and report to myself, Henrietta, Jose, that in the return, some of those things which had such substance to them, which were so real and, and impacting so much, perhaps don't impact to the degree that they did a week ago, a year ago, a couple of years ago. So one feels, I was here, I've moved back, but it's... Things are not getting to me quite, they're still getting to me, but they're not getting me to quite the same degree. So this, of course, we must compare, therefore I say, oh, I'm making some progress here. Some of you have said, have said in the small uh, groups, I was here 
Last time I was here in 1978, there's one person, or 1981, or 1985, or whatever, or in such an environment as this. And of course, naturally enough, I'm very curious and want to know, you know what the, why the person has come back. What on earth would they want to come back for? And generally the report is that things have, in different ways, have got to me so much that I need, I remembered the time when I was here before, I felt an absence of that, freedom from that, and I felt better in myself so I could cope and handle with daily life situations better. And genuinely being here, genuinely and authentically, and I think authentically, is a genuine respite from the so-called real world, genuinely giving the opportunity inside of us for some insight and, uh, and clarity, and one feels spiritually, my spiritual life, my sensitivities and my uh, affections for the deeper ways of being in the world are nourished and renewed, and it, this called spirituality, then helps me to deal more effectively with the so-called real world. That is a tiny function for being here. It's a tiny function of being here. So when that view, that, that, that feeling, that idea, is there for us, both the people who are here for the first time, as perhaps 20% of you are, as well as those who are here regularly, there will arise, and, and an equally important question, how does being here, how does it fit into my daily life? How do I translate this into the situation which I come from? On this I have bad news to report. It was never intended to be translated into the daily life, and let's put another myth aside. And so sometimes there's a strong hope, wish, whatever, somehow this, which is the absence of, is going to fit into the presence of. How? Nobody knows. So one's life then begins, if one is a, a solid meditator, and there are, there are a few in, in here, we have to confess, that there is the world which one says, oh, it's easy, I feel more at home here, there's the absence of, there is the real world, and to some degree one can honestly, when looks at one's life, one's history of these, the history of these things, movement back and forth between the two, between, as it were, feeling very spiritual here, trying to get that into the daily life, constantly having to compete with the material urges either within oneself or within the social environment in which one lives. And it seems like at times, sometimes there is a, 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 a remarkable, perhaps the word is better, miraculous um, um, meeting when one actually feels something spirit, spiritual in the daily life and one can't wonder, wonders how it possibly could have happened. And another time it seems like a very great struggle that the spiritual life ends up in competition with the rest of life. 
as competitive to compete with it, to get into it, to feed into it, as all the materialistic, hedonistic, consumeristic, if there was such a word, urges. And it's been the ongoing question, the ongoing concern, the ongoing thought of any serious meditator who ever stepped inside this place and the others which are familiar. So I say, this wish to integrate, which is a, the theme, the wish to integrate absence of so-called unreal world, so-called in the real world, is a Herculean task, and I don't think we have to be concerned with it. I think it, it becomes, in a way, a struggle, as I said, a competition, and to some degree, a fruitless endeavour. Because I don't think one can underestimate, with all honesty, what it is when we believe that out there is the real world. Once we carry that, once we cherish that, once we've got that idea, we think that is the way things are, I don't think there is a hope of integrating into that. Not a chance, not a chance. Even the wish, even the wish. As people would say, when I leave here, right, I'm going to sit every morning and every evening. I might be able to just to squeeze in enough absence of around me to find a little spot in my room, my apartment, my house, or whatever, TP, wherever one is living. I hope some people will be inspired by dances with wolves and uh, anyway, we, that's another whole subject. <laughs> and so sometimes with, with enthusiasm in from here to there, one takes, one even buys a zafu, <laughs> the zabutan, which is a mat that one sits on, puts it in a place where one has miraculously got a little space left in one's apartment or whatever, and that becomes the place. And there I'll find my retreat, I'll find my meditation, I'll find that space, and that space will help me to deal with this filled-up world in which there's no space because it's the real world out there. And each morning and evening, what happens? One dutifully makes a pilgrimage <laughs> past it. <laughs> Morning and evening. <laughs> and it's there begging to be sat on. One goes past and a few weeks later one finally approaches it. But it's with a rag to rub, to rub off the inch of dust that's accumulated. <laughs> so this... Real, what is real? What is it that we've done in our relationship, in our view of things, 
which has made things such that we've given them such significance, such substance, that it matters to such a degree we can't see anything else but things. Things which are on my mind, things about my future, things about money, things about my career, things about my relationship. And each thing in our going on in our life, each thing, how does it become a thing? How do we make such a thing that we've got half a dozen things and those half a dozen things, they alone make the idea of the real world. Half a dozen things which we have not created from nothing but we have made to be something through substantially dwelling upon and it gives it the thingness and therefore that becomes the real world. So sometimes we say to ourselves here, sitting in the, the absence of these things to some degree, of course, while here we say to ourselves, Do you know, if only this wasn't going on in my life, if I didn't have this thing to deal with, or these things to deal with, then my life would be so different. I wouldn't be concerned with my materialism, of my money worries, and my future worries, and my bill worries. I wouldn't be, wouldn't be concerned if I didn't have those things going on in my life. And if I didn't have those things going on in my life, then I wouldn't have to come here and do all this meditation to try to accept these things and work with these things and accommodate these things. And sometimes in that movement, in that thought which goes on, there's a kind of movement of that thought which actually is incredibly revealing. Understand? There's a thought going on. The thought arises, I didn't have these things in my life then, and to be so preoccupied with that, and in my relationships, in my work, in my job, in my future, of course, in my past, and in my childhood, in my conception, and in my past life. And <laughs> all, the, all these become extra things. If, you think, if I didn't have that, then I wouldn't have to come here, because once I'm here, then I make a thing of going on a retreat and doing that thing. And coming into the meditation room and having to, to, to sit with all my, the things that are going on in me. So in a way, as I see, the, the, the things which we call the real world, which I am living in, this is the thinking, the real world which I am living in, that way invites spirituality. One couldn't have spirituality, couldn't have the idea of it, the concept of it, the construction of it, nor the formation of it without t'other, which is called things in my life which bother me.
is this thingness, this selfness, this somethingness? How come when I really explore, really look into it, actually we have one heck of a job finding what the thing is, what it really is. As an example, one of the things that go on here, the commerce, perhaps one of the most common expressions of this is my thoughts. We make a thing about our thoughts. And we say, if only, if only I had the absence of thoughts, if my brain would just stop without a lobotomy, just stop as though I had no, nothing above my shoulders, it just conveniently fell off or something, if that was only gone, then I could really go deep because my thoughts stopped me. So we make a thing about our thinking. They say, okay, I'm going to sit and I'm going to really take a look at my thoughts. Right, get the knees right, the back straight, body straight, right, come on, anytime, I'm ready. Close the eyes and look. Where the hell of the th where? and no thoughts will appear. This thing called thoughts, this selfness of thoughts, this substance of thoughts. Really look at it. They refuse to materialize. In our unreadiness, they're back. Usually with a vengeance. So, looking into really take, does something. So today, in the inquiry today, very common one, person has a thing about the job, a thing about the role, another person, the thing about the past or the future really looking at it, is one any the different for all of these things? Is one. <coughs> Today in the small group, one person uh, commented and others comment in similar ways. <clears throat> very common one. And the comment was with regard, or directly or indirectly, the, what is called the, uh, uh, as it were, three states of experience. One is the waking state, this normal waking state, mindfulness and observation, and uh, looking, witnessing. The other are uh, the dreams, daydreams, of course, night dreams, which sometimes are exceptionally vivid on a retreat. And the, the other is uh, the sleep, deep sleep, in which there is no recollection in deep sleep of any content. So when we're speaking of deep sleep, we could, many ways to describe that, we could say that in that time there is the absence of the dreams and the absence of the 
waking world, absence of the things that are going on. And so sometimes one looks uh, in this world, and you've probably had the same thoughts as I have had sometimes. One has enjoyed, as I do and others, the, 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 the night hours in two, three in the morning, and one's there, and one knows that in the, more or less in the time zone in which one is living, the huge percentage of the whole population, except for workers, people who are suffering, people parenting, and, and other functions, but the large, large... <laughs> this is from experience here, I can tell you. The large, large percentage of the population, probably 90-something percentage of the population, are all out. The struggle, the fighting, the competition, the desire, all their issues, their things, it's all quiet on the earth. And sometimes I've sat at home in my uh, armchair and in the quietness there and just reflected, peace at last. <laughs> Everything's gone quiet. Why has it gone quiet? It's the absence of. Absence of. Millions, millions and millions in that vast time zone, perhaps hundreds of millions, are all quiet, all asleep. Peacefulness is on the earth because human beings have gone to sleep. <laughs> but, the famous but, Morning comes. <laughs> Not only is there the waking up, but the waking up is the waking up of things. Things. What made the thing? What made it? The desire. <coughs> Woke up. Still peace on the earth. Rubs one, rub one, one rubs one's eyes, wanders into the bathroom. One's privileged enough to have one. Washes one's face, brushes one's teeth. Whatever day is getting underway. But then in comes the desire, and the desire shows itself in a relationship to things the things which I have got to do today. In that moment, the so-called real world is born. Why make that thing any different from a drop of water coming out of the tap? Why make that thing any different from just walking on the floor at home, opening the fridge door, to get out some of the milk, coffee or whatever. So something moves, it takes a hold, that gives substance. And this one calls what daily life is. In this exploration here, I would say that movement on the waking up and then the taking a hold of and making something, that is not waking, that is living in a dream. 
That is not the real world at all. The real world isn't formed by desire. It isn't formed by holding on to, taking up and making a thing of. That isn't the real world. So we say, the teachings say, let's wake up from the waking state. Let's wake up from the concept of that's the real world. Just recently, Henrietta and I were in India. We went to see a teacher there I'd heard of, and some of you will have heard his name. His name is Punja, and he lives in the town of uh, uh, Lucknow, which is a town some nine hours away from uh, New Delhi in the northern part of India. And as he sometimes um, comments rather ruefully, Instead of luck now, why not look now? And here is look now here, and may look now become luck now. But anyway, so we spent two or three days there, and he has small groups, some inquiry, rather, rather uh, similar, if I may say, to here. And then he posited a, 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 a question. And it's a question which has been posited for, of course, many, many centuries in the tradition, and particularly in the, what is called the Advaita Vedanta, tradition, the non-dual tradition, very much a sister tradition to uh, uh, these teachings. And the question here put was to one person, who are you before your mind moves? How about that for a question? Who are you before your mind moves? Sometimes when we ask, who am I? Who are you? Lightning quick, as the Buddha once commented with thought, he, he said thought, and then and like speech too, of course, seems to travel, he commented, so quickly, so fast, that he can't give an analogy to show the speed. So sometimes somebody says, who are you? Boom! Tremendous. Immediacy. And when the mind has moved, it's made a statement, I am so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Then, a person may say to us, what, what, what do you do? And I says, well, what I do is so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And how long have you been doing this? Oh, so <laughs> You ex expect to continue doing it? So-and-so, so-and-so. This is repeated to us, your life and my life, ad nauseum, many times in our life, and that repetition from the world around plus the latency inside of us gives rise to that's the real world. Socially agreed real world. The world which we have made together and given substance to. Together. Collectively. It's a, it's a, a human conspiracy. And the teachings say, that is not the real world. It's a socially agreed one. So Punja said to the person, who are you before your mind moves? Which is another way of saying, who are you before your idea of the real world is born? 
as I say, the teachings provide and give the opportunity for an immediacy of awakening, in which one no longer feels to be, as it were, identified or in the deep sleep state, and making that the real world for me, so many hours in a day, no longer feels to be identified and in the dream state, night dreams, day dreams, and no longer in this so-called real world which I am trying to struggle with and deal with because I don't believe it's the real world. The myth socially conscribed to, socially conspiracy, socially agreed, monotonously repeated, has lost its reality. And I say, before the mind moves, who are you? What can we say? What does materialism mean then? What does spirituality mean then? What does retreats mean then? What does real world mean then? And all the troubles and the conflicts of trying to integrate all of that. So let's keep with the spirit of immediate awakening. So that neither the thingness of materialism or the thingness of spirituality actually is what it's all about. May all beings see into life May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be awakened. Let's have our couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please?